Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. An absolute pleasure to be with you once again. Grab yourself a beverage and or a snack. We could be here a while tonight. This show is going to jump around. Lots of different angles to cover. It's a pleasure to be spending this time with you. Thank you for joining. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Daily Boogie Podcast. I am Boogie Bubba, your host. Hopefully for the next hour or so, we might go a little bit over time tonight. So much to cover. So much to get through. Uh, thank you. First and foremost, thank you so much for being able, for being willing and able to draw yourself away from the engaging, from the enlightening Democrat Party debates. I don't, I don't know how you did it. Are they still going? I'm not sure. Are they still arguing? But it's a massive sacrifice on your behalf to pull your, to extricate yourself from such an enlightening experience and join us here on the Daily Boogie Show. So thank you so much for doing that. It's a massive sacrifice, I know. We might cover a bit of the Democrat debates tomorrow night. If we're feeling flippant, if we're feeling whimsical, we'll cover a bit of the Democrat Party debates. Thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for sharing the show out. If you did, if you didn't, well, so long, sucker. No, just kidding. You can stick around. You can make this your guilty little private pleasure. You don't have to share. Actually, I prefer it if you don't share it out. Because then I can... I can reasonably argue that my unpopularity is through manufactured circumstance rather than just not being popular. So, whatever you do, don't share the show out. <laughs> it's an underground show. Uh, we've got peeps all over the place. Facebook, Facebook, pardon me. Facebook on the brain. You'll see why once we get started. Uh, Periscope, YouTube, DLive and Twitch. Thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, so much to get through. Uh, special edition tonight. And it's going to be one of those shows where I'm going to be jumping around a bit. We're going to be lurching from one topic to the next, one angle to the next. Because this topic is so all-encompassing. There are so many things to discuss here that it's very difficult to present it in a linear fashion. And it's it's going to be one of those shows which I, in which I prefer... <laughs> See, I'm, I'm all over the place already. Let me take another swig of beer. Hang on. Mm. Okay. It's going to be one of those shows where I wish I was a note taker, but unfortunately I'm not a very good note taker. I'm the kind of guy that if I start to take notes before I've even realized, I look down and I've done a doodle of an old man crossing the street. I'm like, where did this come from? I've drawn a little go-kart or something. What am I doing? I'm supposed to be taking notes here. If you put a pen and paper in front of me, I can only get distracted and start doing flip books or something. So I can't take notes. <laughs> I'm not a note taker. I like it just to be in the in the moment, the spur of the moment. And the topic we're discussing today 
probably requires that I take notes. So I appreciate your patience. Let's get rocking and rolling. Um, just a quick reminder, if you want to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to draw me a doodle, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Let's start it off. Just let's just start off with a little bit of news coverage first and foremost to get the ball rolling. Facebook antitrust inquiry shows big tech's freewheeling era is past. Now, I'm going to preface this entire conversation tonight with I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what the answer is. What I do know is the way things are converging and the way we are progressing cannot be allowed to just simply carry on. Something has to change. Something needs to shift. There needs to be a trigger. And we need to do something about it. Celeste over on Twitch. I'm going to have my first lamington today in honor of you. Well, thank you very much. The coconut topped treat available here, down here in this part of the world. And you'll be pleased to know that Australians and New Zealanders are very close to going to war over who invented the lamington. There's a little inside goss for you, a little inside baseball. <clears throat> but carrying on. When you read that headline, Facebook antitrust inquiry shows big tech's freewheeling era is past, you might say, well, it's about time. It's about time. For too long, these big companies, the Facebooks, and I'm no fan of Facebook. For too long, these companies have been able to run roughshod over us to be able to do what they want. And I'm somebody that argues that these big corporations are trying to own the internet. They are trying to dictate freedom of expression slowly with incremental changes in things like terms of service, arguing, lobbying themselves for regulation to pull up the drawbridge so they can deny themselves the, the pain and misery of competition in this space. But it's more deeper than that. It's more nuanced than that because big tech's freewheeling era is past. Well, compared to what? What are we comparing this to? Are we comparing this to social media in China, for example? Because that's not the way we want to go. Potentially, we could be looking at something far worse if the government gets involved, but I digress. Facebook came under siege on multiple fronts on Wednesday, agreeing to new layers of oversight and two fines to settle privacy and disclosure violations even as it acknowledged that it was under investigation from the Federal Trade Commission for antitrust concerns. Early in the day, the company was penalised by the FTC with a record $5 billion fine for deceiving users about their ability to control the privacy of their personal data. As part of a settlement, the company was also ordered to create a new privacy committee on its board. <laughs> Another committee. Oh, we love the committees, don't we? Wait, don't worry. Don't worry, we've we've created a privacy committee. Oh, oh, goody. Yes, your privacy concerns will be answered by the committee, which we handpicked, which comes under the umbrella of our corporate structure here at Facebook. So there's no need to be concerned anymore. Have your milk, have your cookies and go to bed. It's fine. Facebook cares about your privacy. But the agreement was criticised for failing to limit Facebook's gathering, sharing and use of people's personal information, a practice that has repeatedly raised privacy questions. 
One of the things that we need to understand when it comes to this discussion of online freedom, before we even get too far down the rabbit hole, and we're going pretty far tonight, we have to understand the amount of money that is being paid to people in government by Facebook, by Google, by Twitter. The amount of money that is being donated to particular congressmen and women and senators buying favours is obscene. It's obscene. And there's a truthism in politics. It's much better to be known for looking like you're doing something than actually doing something. Right? You want people in the public to think that you are changing things. You want people in the public to think that you are fixing things. They you, you want people in the public to think that you are doing something. But in reality, you want to be doing the least amount possible. Because big changes cause problems. Big changes rile vested interests. So on the surface, you always want to present things on the surface like we're really attacking this problem. We're really going after these challenges. But in reality, the devil's always in the detail. And for the actual stakeholders, for the actual people concerned, you want to put their mind at ease and say, don't worry, it's not that much of a problem. It's not that big of a change. Nothing's really going to change. It's fine. Don't worry about it. At the same time, the Securities and Exchange Commission said on Wednesday that it had imposed a $100 million penalty against Facebook for making misleading disclosures to investors about the risk and misuse of user data. The SEC said Facebook had known for two years about that misuse, but had presented those risks to investors as merely hypothetical. <laughs> what if we started sharing people's personal data without their permission? What would you say to that? Well, I don't think that would be a good idea at all. Oh, really? Because we've been doing it for the last two years. Sorry. Sorry about that. It was an accident. Hours later, Facebook also disclosed that it was the target of an antitrust investigation by the FTC. While the agency was known to be looking into the company and whether it had used its reach and clout to reduce competition, a formal investigation starts a more intensive phase of examination. The company also confirmed that the Justice Department had contacted it this month as part of the agency's sweeping antitrust review of the tech giants, which it made public on Tuesday. Let me go to this. Tulsi Gabbard, ladies and gentlemen. The Democrat Party's own in-house pinup girl, Tulsi Gabbard sues for Google censorship of ads. Presidential candidate and military veteran Tulsi Gabbard is suing Google after the tech giant blocked her ads account shortly after the first Democrat presidential debate. When Gabbard became the first, when Gabbard became the most searched for candidate in the Democratic field. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. Just a coincidence. Let me make a, a broader point here. I'm fully aware that the majority of this audience is, you know on the conservative side of the ledger, maybe a bit more libertarian, but definitely more Republican than Democrat. You, I might upset a few people here tonight, and that's, that's fine. I'm going to take that risk because I think it needs to be taken. When you see Tulsi Gabbard come out, here's what's not productive. Let, let me go even further back. I have been on this horse for the last five years at least, 
talking about internet freedom, data collection, privacy issues, censorship, bias, and the lot. And for the longest time, I was met with only derision and mockery and denial from people on the other side of the ledger. Oh, it's a conspiracy theory. You're mad. You're making too much of it. Do you really think these companies are cracking down on certain political voices? Don't be silly. Don't be silly, Boogie Bumper. You're quite mad, you know. Recently, what I've found over the last few months is people on that side of the ledger, on the more progressive side of the spectrum, have actually been coming back to me and sending me things. Sending me articles about censorship. Sending me articles about their concerns about big tech. Sending me film clips. Sending me news spots from Google, Facebook and Twitter. And saying, this isn't good. And there's two ways that you can go when you when you have this situation. You can go the usual route, which is to say, well, you idiot, I've been trying to tell you this for five years. Why don't you listen? You don't know anything. You're stupid, blah, blah, blah. Why are you voting Democrat? Blah, 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 blah. But that's not really productive. There are going to be people who come out and say, Tulsi Gabbard is only doing this for political reasons. And I might have some sympathy with that view. But do you think that's the productive way to address this? Let's watch a little bit of her video and then we'll have a discussion about it, shall we? You are on the Daily Boogie. Thank you so much for joining us. Throughout our country's history, our freedom of speech has always been viewed through a single lens. That we, the American people, can express ourselves openly, we can share ideas, and we can peacefully protest without fear of punishment. We could exercise this right without any censorship, threat of arrest, or government intervention that would otherwise restrict our freedoms. Now, over the last two decades, technology has completely revolutionized how we as a society communicate. An enormous amount of public discourse now happens over the internet where a very select handful of corporations yield enormous power over your access to information. Now, nearly 70% of all Americans now use Facebook. Google controls 88% of all internet searches in the United States, with 73% using their YouTube platform. So these two technology conglomerates, without any oversight, can decide who and what is seen or heard. They have banned voices who, while controversial and maybe even distasteful, have not incited violence or threatened others. Their sole offense was expressing a view that these corporations deemed unacceptable. In fact... Before we, we start going off and saying, well, it's all bullshit, she's only doing this for political views, hasn't this been the point... Have, isn't this what we have wanted for the last two or three years, ladies and gentlemen? I put it to you that this kind of rhetoric coming from a Democrat is exactly what we have been asking for for years. Now, there's two ways that you can approach this if you're a Donald Trump supporter. And I will give you both ways. I will give you the idealist view and I'll give you the cynical political view, right? The idealist view would be like, oh, well, finally, the Democrats are on board, blah, blah, blah. Finally, Tulsi Gabbard and the Democrats are going to do something about censorship. Yay! Because you're standing on principle, right? But then the more cynical amongst us might say, well, this is just a ploy to get votes. This is a ploy to steal votes, which is why I present to you the cynical political view 
in that instead of attacking this, Donald Trump and the Republicans and uh, Donald Trump supporters should steal her idea. She is launching a court case against Google for bias and censorship in their uh, ads by blocking her ads, right? Donald Trump and the Republicans should adopt her idea because the only way that we're going to get internet freedom in any way, shape or form is if it's viewed by politicians who care about what you want and what you don't want in so much as it will govern whether or not they get to keep their job. The only way that we're going to get something is if it's viewed as a bipartisan issue. Let me tell you why. I have watched too many hours, at least a hundred hours of Senate hearings, of congressional hearings, and watched Democrat after Democrat after Democrat after Democrat say that it's nothing but a conspiracy theory and it's nothing but a right-wing fantasy. I did a whole video about it. On the flip side, I've watched hundreds of hours of Senate and congressional hearings and watched Republican after Republican after Republican not understand the issue 101. Not even understanding how to punch something into Google. So as long as that is the norm, as long as that is the conversation, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. And the tech companies will continue to do what they want, which is try to own the internet. The other difference here, someone in the chat saying Laura Loomer already suing Facebook and Twitter. That's fine. But would you say that a sitting congresswoman running for president, perhaps, especially on the Democrat side, perhaps has the ability to be a little more effective than an internet activist, right? The other thing to consider here is if you, if Donald Trump and the Republicans adopt this, then they can win. Because Donald Trump is the president, right? There's also the thing of wedging your opposition. Now, because of this commercial, because of this stance, Tulsi Gabbard is setting herself against the majority of her party. And if you are the Republicans and Donald Trump, you you really, really want, you really want to have the Democrats fighting against each other. It doesn't mean that you have to go out and vote for Tulsi Gabbard. It doesn't mean that you even have to believe her. But if you take this one issue in isolation, in a vacuum, and say, you know what, she's right, and we need to back that, we need to do this, what she's doing, then you are going to force the rest of the Democrats to turn around and either, one, deny the existence of the problem, which is what they've been doing, by and large, or two, get behind her and get behind a solution. And the only way that we're going to fix this problem is to have a bipartisan effort. Because as long as it's only one side pushing the barrow, then the other side is going to deny that the problem even exists. As long as it's only one side complaining, the other side is going to say it's a conspiracy theory and a fantasy. Do you see my point here? That's why I argue it's far more productive to say, yes, we should be doing what Tulsi Gabbard is suggesting here. The other problem is, if Donald Trump isn't going to address this, then somebody else is going to step into that space. He doesn't own it. 
Now, you might be a Donald Trump supporter and you might have very strong feelings about internet censorship and bias and whatnot, but beyond sending out the occasional tweet saying, hey, this isn't fair, got to stop banning people, what has actually been done? If Tulsi Gabbard gains momentum from this, it will force Donald Trump and the Republicans to do something substantial before the next election. Because really what we want here is outcomes, right? We want outcomes. And so that's why I put it to you that backing what she says here, adopting what she's saying and saying, yes, we need to do it too. You turn it into a bipartisan issue. You take away one of her weapons. You take away one of the potential weapons from the Democrats. You wedge the Democrats against each other because so many of them are on record saying the very thing that she is complaining about doesn't exist. Right? That's why it's more productive than to just turn around and say, don't pay any attention. Nothing's good. She's not going to do anything. Don't pay any attention to her. Have we not learned anything from the last two years? Does that even work anymore? Does turning around about a politician complaining about something and say, don't pay any attention to her. She's lying. It doesn't make any sense. Don't worry about it. Because then you're now actually arguing against the very thing that you've been arguing for for the last three years. For what? Why? You can give her a pat on the head and say, good job, Tulsi, and continue voting for Donald Trump. And maybe if enough people on the Democrat side of the ledger start making noises like this, it will force Donald Trump to actually do something and it will create a bipartisan push, which is the only way in modern politics that you can really get anything substantial done at all, ever. Google has admitted on several occasions to suspending those who've not violated any of their terms of use. This alarming trend has been growing, with tech giants continuing to silence voices and restrict access to information. Where are the Republicans making this a bipartisan issue? Have you noticed she hasn't focused in on progressives? Have you noticed that? She hasn't said big tech is out to get Democrats. She hasn't even mentioned herself. The reason that she's doing this is because she herself, her ads were banned off Google when she was the number one search item after the first Democrat Party debates. But she hasn't even mentioned herself. She's making it a bipartisan issue. Now, where are the Republicans doing the same thing? Where are the Republicans talking, speaking on first principles instead of just Facebook hates Republicans? Twitter is banning conservatives. Where are the people on the right making it a bipartisan issue? Where are the people on the right fighting for the votes of Democrat-leaning people who also believe in freedom of speech? Because I'm here to tell you, without the Democrat voters, the longtime Democrat voters in the blue wall states, Donald Trump doesn't get in the White House. It wasn't the Christian conservatives in the Deep South that elected Donald Trump. It was the blue-collar and middle-class white voters in places like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin who voted Democrat for the last 30 years. That's who elected Donald Trump. And pretending like that's not the case is a denial of reality. And pretending like it's just going to be a cakewalk in 2020 is also a denial of reality, considering that really the margin, even though the Electoral College suggests otherwise, Three or four states with a grand total of around 90,000 votes spread around them is enough to flip the election back to the Democrats. 
So on any issue where you see yourself agreeing with the Democrats, it is in your interest to not fight it, to agree with it, but to own it, to take it back, to own the issue. And say something like, Tulsi Gabbard is right, we need to do something about this. The Democrats and the Republicans can finally agree that something needs to be done and own it. This concentration of power and influence is a direct threat to our democracy, which is why I've taken action against Google and will continue to advocate for breaking up these tech monopolies and ending their power to undermine our freedom of speech. We all must fight to protect and preserve the fundamental freedoms that make America the greatest nation on earth. So I'm calling upon you and all Americans to join me in this fight. Whether we're progressives or conservatives, left oh, or she's right, good. if we do she's not good. stand united in this struggle to protect our freedoms, we all lose. Not bad, is it? Not a bad message, is it? And again, I'll reiterate, if Donald Trump isn't going, if the Republicans aren't going to do something substantial in this space, then don't be surprised when an upstart candidate for the presidency does it themselves. And instead of getting angry and saying, oh, fucking Tulsi, fucking bullshit, she's a bitch, how could she do this, blah, blah, blah. How about saying, wow, she's actually saying the exact same thing that we've been saying for the last three years, good for her. She's going against the rest of her party who say that it's all a conspiracy theory and it's all made up and it's all right-wing fantasy, good for her. You know why? Because that's exactly what we've fucking wanted. That's exactly what we've wanted for years is people on the other side to recognize the problem. Because people like myself have been saying for years, if you don't recognize the problem, it's going to get you too. Ladies and gentlemen, they're not just banning conservatives off YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. They're banning anybody who isn't pushing the globalist corporate line. People who run organic gardens are being banned and censored off Google and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Let me give you this. Let me show you this. Something for your consideration, perhaps. The left-wing case against censorship of social media. From April 2019, this year. In conversations about online extremism, the questions of platforms inevitably arises. YouTube, for example, may be held culpable for featuring video recommendations that lead young men down rabbit holes of far-right content. According to Rebecca Lewis's infamous report on YouTube extremism, this includes channels as innocuous as Joe Rogan, who has been labelled a far-right influencer by Axios and other elements of the mainstream press. <clears throat> the label far-right is a curious one. The Young Turks, Anna Kasparian, for example, said that the Democrat presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard is not progressive. On Joe Rogan's podcast, Bari Weiss called Gabbard monstrous and an Assad toady. Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang also risks being disowned by many progressives merely because he has attracted a contingent of Pepe-adjacent memers calling themselves the Yang Gang probably because of his offer of UBI, which is universal basic income, at $1,000 a month appeals to unemployed young men without a future. Ooh, ouch. The far-right category is tricky. It can be applied without any serious definition of what it constitutes. 
Consider the accusation leveled against Jill Stein of running interference for the Russians in 2016. Is the Green Party then far right? Were they steeped in Russian propaganda and prepared to throw the election for Trump? In the farthest reaches of Twitter, one can even find entire communities convinced that Bernie Sanders was at least a partial Russian agent, a useful idiot who tried to steal the election from Hillary Clinton to satisfy his personal pride. The problems with online censorship have become more obvious than ever. In an age in which political definitions simply cannot be agreed upon. How many times have we spoken about that? Remember we did, we watched that video with uh, Marianne, Marianne Williamson a few weeks ago where she supports a whole range of socialist policies and then says, well, I'm not a socialist. I'm a capitalist with a conscience. And I put it to you, the very, the very thing that's being spoken about in this left-wing article. That being, what's the point of even having ideological definitions anymore? Because nobody adheres to them. Nobody cares. They just make it up as they go along. That includes socialists. That includes capitalists with a conscience. And that includes, quote unquote, the far right. It all depends on which ideological actors are controlling a particular platform. There is no telling how a given standard will be applied. If 10,000 people on social media assert that a particular trend is a Russian subterfuge or alt-right in nature and pressure Facebook or Twitter to remove that content or deemed responsible, must the company make a move merely to avoid accusations of being complicit in the rise of Donald Trump or the spread of mass shootings? And, the, and could the draconian standards implemented by corporate boardrooms later be expanded in countless irresponsible ways? This privatisation of the public in cyberspace is a notable blind spot for antitrust regulation. In the Roosevelt era, Standard Oil monopolised the flow of fuel. This was a public harm, but a private monopoly on information is far worse. President Donald Trump uses a private platform to deliver ostensibly public announcements. This forces the platform to behave as a utility, a political open forum sanctioned by the state itself, yet it is run by a Twitter oligarchy without oversight from a democratic polity. Consider our relationship to information and corporate power. Twitter, a company spawned in 2006, has completely transformed how the president, congress and media relate to information. A private company happened to produce a product that changed the entire landscape of public dialogue in under 10 years, forcing the news cycle to abide by rules set down by this wholly private organisation. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you that this is an article called The Left-Wing Case Against Censorship of Social Media. By virtue of its market success and by choice of Donald Trump to use it as a public megaphone, whether Twitter is good or bad for our discourse, our ability to think, or our mental stability is a secondary consideration. What is most important is the sea change in how information is transmitted. To be a journalist, to stay informed, to hear your president, you must use a platform that does not belong to the American people, but to shareholders. Interesting, isn't it? The topic of deplatforming or banning particular users from the site, therefore, has sinister connotations. You could never ban a person from a public square where a politician might stand and give a speech, but you can be banned from Twitter where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Donald Trump are shaping the nation with every second's new fevered update. To call the call to deplatform, censor or otherwise set rules as to what as to who can say what online is extremely troubling. 
It amounts to an argument in favour of the unjustified power of a particular corporate hierarchy over the speech of millions. Bravo. Oh, Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard. You shouldn't support what she's saying. She's only lying to you to get votes. I put it to you. Who cares? Who cares? Be cynical about it. Be cynical. You can say that she's only lying to you to get votes. That's fine. But she's right in what she's saying. And there's nothing to say that you can't adopt what she's saying and do it because it's the right thing to do. And again, understanding the reality that the only way this is going to change is if it's viewed by the political machine as a bipartisan issue. As long as it's a conservative issue, Democrats will deny the existence of it. If it's a Democrat issue, conservatives won't give a fuck. If it's affecting everybody, then we win. That's the goal here. That's the plan. That's what needs to happen. It amounts to an argument, this is the article, in favour of the unjustified power of a particular corporate hierarchy over the speech of millions. Elizabeth Warren understands this, but the left at large, at least on Twitter, seem far more open to the idea of simply deplatforming individuals who are named and categorised as far right. This nebulous category can include even Democrats such as Tulsi Gabbard, Andrew Yang and Joe Rogan, depending on how their fan bases develop, independently of their control and how media chooses to interpret their ideas. The left case against deplatforming boils down to these three principles. Number one, the decision to deplatform is controlled by an unaccountable private entity. Number two, deplatforming creates multiple public spheres which do not intersect, thus dividing the national discourse and creating safe spaces for bigotry. What have we been saying on this show for the longest time since day one, ladies and gentlemen? The best way to address people that you view as extremist and dangerous and wrong is to put them front and centre in the spotlight. It's to amplify them. I don't want I don't want quote unquote hate speech and hate preachers banned off YouTube. I want them on the six o'clock news. I want everybody to see what they have to say. I want everybody to see your ideas in all of their glory as raw as possible. So we can then turn to the people who have watched your madness and say, do you see why we don't do this? There's why. This is why we don't believe these things. That guy. I want you out there front and center every single goddamn day. Number three, it will inevitably use, be used against leftists the moment the wind changes and a company decides that the perceived hard left must be censored to... That's already happening. That's already happening. And so here we are. The first point is the easiest to convey. When Twitter or Facebook tweak an algorithm or ban an account, a private corporation whose main interest is profit and self-protection is being handed the tools to construct an Overton window. Only a society enraptured by total trust in its entrepreneurial philosopher Kings could possibly endorse this. Arguments that Twitter and Facebook as private entities have the right to control speech on their platforms perform the dodge of privatizing the commons and then setting forth private corporate rules as the permanent standard going forward. If all speech in the digital era is hosted on corporate-owned platforms, then technology ingenuity has rendered the public sphere a private one. 
this sleight of hand is absurd and directly undermines the principles of the First Amendment. Ladies and gentlemen, this this will be this article will be in the show notes just like everything we refer to. Again, quote, the left-wing case against censorship of social media. There is a time to fight your perceived opposite in the political sphere. It's not when they're agreeing with you. That's not the time to throw shit in their face. When they're agreeing with you is the time to say, okay, let's put all of our other differences aside and let's point our guns in the same direction for the first time. Would the American Revolution have happened, ladies and gentlemen, if people from Pennsylvania argued with people from New York about who should rule the roost? Would the American Revolution have happened if people were too concerned with not agreeing with each other on a singular issue that would shape their future, but instead playing politics with it and pretending like it doesn't exist because they're afraid that somebody might vote for that other person? Do you see how puerile and infantile and stupid and asinine that is in the broad in the broad scheme of things, in the bigger picture? How about this? Just a little flashback of what's what's going on here. When Facebook was getting going, I had these people who would come up to me um, and they would say, you know, I'm not on social media. And I would say, okay, <laughs> you know, you will be. And then they would say, they would say, no, 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 no. I value my real life interactions. I value the moment. I value presence and I value intimacy. And I would say, well, you're a conscientious objector. That's okay. You don't have to participate, but you know, we'll get you eventually. <clears throat> and, and, and like, I don't know if I really understood the consequences of what I was saying, <laughs> because it the un, the unintended consequences of 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 a of a network when it grows to a billion or two billion people, and it and it begin and it it literally changes your relationship with society, with each other, with you know it 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 probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. It. God only knows what it's doing to to our children's brains. You know, if the if the thought process that went into Bill. <laughs> okay, Smokey, I take your point, Smokey Bear. But of of course, as uh, not a scholar of American history, surely you take mine. <laughs> Building these applications, Facebook being the first of them to really understand it. That thought process was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while um, because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's gonna get you to contribute more content and that's gonna get you, you know, more likes and comments. I mean, it's a, it's a, val it's a social validation feedback loop that, that it's like a, I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. Interesting little article here for you, ladies and gentlemen, if I may. Like I said, we're going to be jumping around a bit tonight because there's way too many angles to cover here. Social media copies gambling methods to create psychological cravings. 
Methods activate same brain mechanisms as cocaine and leads to users experiencing phantom notification buzzing, experts warn. Social media platforms are using the same techniques as gambling firms to create psychological dependencies and ingrain their products in the lives of their users, experts warn. These methods are so effective that they can activate similar mechanisms as cocaine in the brain, create psychological cravings and even invoke phantom calls and notifications where users sense the buzz of a smartphone even when it isn't really there. Facebook, Twitter and other companies use methods similar to gambling industry to keep their users on their site, said Natasha Schul, the author of Addiction by Design, which reported how slot machines and other systems are designed to lock users into a cycle of addiction. Have you ever noticed how you have to swipe down on Twitter to refresh? You know, you, you, you put your finger on the phone and you swipe it down and then the little spinning thing comes up at the top of the screen. What does that remind you of? It's a poker machine. It's a slot machine, right? You pull the lever down, the wheels spin, and then the numbers come up, and you might win some money. That's designed to mimic a, a slot machine. You pull down on the screen, you see the little spinning icon in the top, and then your screen changes, and you might have some likes, and you might have some messages, and you might have a retweet. It's designed to keep you, keep you slotting. It's designed to keep you putting your pennies into the machine and pulling the lever. Nothing's by accident. If you disengage, you get peppered with little messages or bonus offers to get your attention and pull you back in, said Shul. We have to start recognising the costs of time spent on social media. It's not just a game. It affects us financially, physically and emotionally. Uh, that's from The Guardian, by the way, a known right-wing conspiracy website. Just if you're interested. Just if you're interested. Here is, I'm sure a few people have already seen this. Remember, maybe we'll play Tulsi Gabbard one more time. Let's let's play. It's only two minutes. We'll play Tulsi one more time, and then I'll show you the next clip of a Senate hearing, which, if you haven't seen it yet, will blow your mind. And it will show you once again why a bipartisan approach is needed on this. And instead of just saying, well, she's just saying it and she's not going to do anything, that could well be true. But take what she's saying and own it. And in that way, you are taking uh, a weapon out of her kit bag and you are forcing the rest of her party to deny the existence of a problem that Democrats themselves are now coming to grips with and acknowledging is actually real and actually happening. Throughout our country's history, our freedom of speech has always been viewed through a single lens that we, the American people, can express ourselves openly, we can share ideas, and we can peacefully protest without fear of punishment. We could exercise this right without any censorship, threat of arrest, or government intervention that would otherwise restrict our freedoms. Now, over the last two decades, technology has completely revolutionized how we as a society communicate. An enormous amount of public discourse now happens over the internet where a very select, handful of corporations yield enormous power over your access to information. And nearly 70% of all Americans now use Facebook. Google controls 88% of all internet searches in the United States, with 73% using their YouTube platform. So these two technology conglomerates, without any oversight, can decide who and what is seen or heard. They have banned voices who, while controversial and maybe even distasteful, have not incited violence or threatened others. 
Their sole offense was expressing a view that these corporations deemed unacceptable. In fact, Google has admitted on several occasions to suspending those who've not violated any of their terms of use. This alarming trend has been growing, with tech giants continuing to silence voices and restrict access to information. This concentration of power and influence is a direct threat to our democracy, which is why I've taken action against Google and will continue to advocate for breaking up these tech monopolies and ending their power to undermine our freedom of speech. We all must fight to protect and preserve the fundamental freedoms that make America the greatest nation on earth. So I'm calling upon you and all Americans to join me in this fight, whether we're progressives or conservatives, left or right. If we do not stand united in this struggle to protect our freedoms, we all lose. There's another point here too that I want to stress, and this is something that I've said for the longest time. And there are many factors that have changed this. But once upon a time, political arguments in the Western world used to be a battle of two sides of the same coin. Meeting, by and large, most people, the overwhelming majority of people. Everyone was free market. Everyone was a Christian. Everyone was a nationalist. And everyone believed in freedom of speech. So the arguments that we used to have were around fringe issues, let's say. So it was like, you know, the right wanted um, the employer to have a little more power than the employee and the left wanted a little more power in the hands of the employee as opposed to the the employer. Stuff like that, right? And, and the differences were very minute compared to what we're dealing with now. So why the hell, if you believe that, if you believe that there are a few fundamental axioms upon which we should all agree in order for society to flourish and in order for society to you know settle and for have to have all of us you know on the same page on the same team i mean jfk was a democrat who spoke out against communism jfk was a democrat who wanted low taxes and spoke out aggressively against communism because even though he was a democrat Republicans at the time knew that, well, at least he's on our side. We might disagree about certain things, but he's on our side, which is probably why they put a bullet in his head. Because he was going to break up the intelligence services, right? Because of the amount of power that they had at the time, back in the 60s. So if we all agree that the way forward is for us to agree on a few fundamental axioms, and then we can have our little disagreements on either side... Why the hell then would you demonize and throw something like this out instead of actually agreeing? Because like I said, we've been wanting Democrats to say this kind of thing for years instead of pretending like the problem doesn't exist. And now you have a Democrat who is actually saying what you want Democrats to say, that being, let's protect our freedom of speech. The power of the online oligarchs has to come to an end. The corporations cannot be allowed to decide who gets to engage in the conversation on the internet. This is exactly what we've wanted Democrats to say for years. And the the response, the, the reflexive response of so many people is to say, Oh, fucker, don't listen to her. Ignore her. It's all a trick. It's bullshit. <laughs> what, what do you think it's going to look like? 
Do you, do you agree that freedom of speech should be protected? Do you agree that the online oligarchs have too much power? Do you agree that these corporations are trying to dominate the public sphere and decide who can and can't speak? Then what the hell are you getting angry about, man? Snap out of it. It doesn't mean you have to vote for it. It doesn't mean you have to become a Democrat. It doesn't mean you have to hand out pamphlets for Tulsi Gabbard. The best way to, to approach it is to say, Tulsi's right, we should listen to that, we should do it ourselves. And in that way, you can force the rest of the Democrats to try and argue with one of their own that the problem doesn't exist. Somebody mentioned Josh Hawley before. I've got Josh Hawley loaded up, ready to go. We'll get to him. As well as uh, Senator Ted Cruz, the, the really the only effective guy on the Republican side of the ledger. I'm sorry to say, more effective than Donald Trump. Ted Cruz is actually doing productive stuff on this issue more productive than just sending out the occasional tweet saying hey it's really it's really bad that conservatives are being banned you gotta stop doing that okay it's not nice it's not good robert epstein from the american institute for behavioral research and technology a senior research psychologist obviously a nazi obviously a conspiracy theorist obviously a right a guy engaging in right-wing fantasy in 2020 you can bet that all of these companies are going to go all out and the methods that they're using are invisible, they're subliminal, they're more powerful than most any effects I've ever seen in the behavioral sciences and I've been in the behavioral sciences for almost 40 years. Uh-oh. Cover your eyes, children. I am indeed Dr. Robert Epstein. The most important thing for you to know about me is that I'm the father of five wonderful children. As it happens, I'm also a research psychologist at the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology. I have been center, center left my whole adult life, but I value my country and democracy more than I value any party or candidate. Oh, he's a leftist. Let's, let's get rid of him. Let's throw him on the scrap heap. Obviously, anything that he's got to say couldn't could has no basis in reality. Obviously, anything this guy said, I mean, he admitted he's a leftist. Let's let's throw him on the rubbish pile, shall we? Tulsi Gabbard's a Democrat. We shouldn't listen to anything that she says. But wait, aren't you aren't you in favor of doing something about the online censorship and the bias? Shut up, shut up, commie. <laughs> the same reflexive responses. <coughs> Pardon me. The same reflex responses that we've been criticizing and mocking and memeing for the last three years, I've now started I've now started seeing it creep into the MAGA community. Don't listen to don't 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 agree with Tulsi Gabbard. It's like you didn't even listen to what she said. Who cares? She's a Democrat. Fuck you. Oh, okay. Are you a commie sympathizer? Are you a socialist too? <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I could have sworn that you were just, uh, they were just telling people that they're Nazis last week and you agreed with them, right? Anyway, let's carry on. That is why I'm speaking out today. I'm here to explain why Google poses a serious threat to democracy, how monitoring systems can protect us from companies like Google, and how Congress can immediately end Google's worldwide monopoly on search. My plan for ending that monopoly was published just yesterday in Business Week. 
I've been a research psychologist for nearly 40 years. My PhD is from Harvard, and since 1981, I've published extensively on AI and other topics. Right-wing conspiracy theorists. Some of my theorist. research has focused on Google, on the company's massive surveillance operations, censorship capabilities, and unprecedented ability to manipulate the thinking of 2.5 billion people, soon to be 4 plus billion. I've written articles, articles about Google for Time Magazine, USA Today, that kind of thing, but also for The Daily Caller and even Russia's Sputnik News. I reach out to diverse audiences because I believe the threats posed by Google, and to a lesser extent Facebook, are so serious that everyone needs to know about them. Here are just three disturbing findings from my research which adheres to the very highest standards of scientific integrity. Number one. In 2016, Google's search algorithm likely impacted undecided voters in a way that shifted at least 2.6 million votes to Hillary Clinton, whom I supported. I know this because I preserved more than 13,000 election-related searches prior to Election Day, and Google's search results were significantly biased in favor of Secretary Clinton. I know the number of votes that shifted because I've conducted dozens of controlled experiments that measure how opinions shift when search results are biased. I call this shift SEAM, the Search Engine Manipulation Effect, which I first published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015. Biased search results can easily produce shifts in the opinions and voting preferences of undecided voters by up to 80% in some demographic groups because people blindly trust high-ranking search results over lower ones. SEAM is an especially dangerous form of influence because it is, in effect, subliminal. It also leaves no paper trail for authorities to trace. It's an example of a short-lived or, quote, ephemeral experience. That's a phrase you'll find in internal emails that have leaked recently from Google. I'm now studying seven such manipulations, like SEAM, and unlike billboards or those Russian-placed ads, these manipulations are invisible and non-competitive. They're controlled entirely by big tech companies, and there is no way to counteract them. Number two, on election day in 2018, the Go Vote reminder that Google displayed on its home page gave one political party at least 800,000 more votes than it gave the other party. That reminder was not a public service, it was a vote manipulation. Number three, in the weeks leading up to the 2018 election, bias in Google search results may have shifted upwards of 78.2 million votes spread across many races to the candidates of one political party. This number is based on bias in data captured by my 2018 monitoring system, which preserved more than 47,000 election-related searches conducted by a diverse group of American voters. I know how to stop big tech in its tracks, and that brings me briefly here to monitoring systems and the proposal I published yesterday. Okay, you get the idea. Again, left-wing guy saying the exact same thing that many of us have been saying. Throw it on the scrap heap. 
say it's all a trick. Don't listen to what he says. You're being fooled. Or actually own a bipartisan issue for once on something that we can all agree on and actually do something about it for a change. This is Timothy Wu. Timothy Wu is a law professor at Columbia University, if I'm not mistaken. He's also somebody who has been writing on the topic for internet freedom for almost a decade. You can find articles going back eight, nine years saying, can Timothy Wu save the internet? He's also a regular columnist for the New York Times, uh, something that most people would not read because they assume everything in the New York Times is partisan bias garbage. Uh, A a view I have some sympathy with because I know, uh, because I subscribe to the New York Times and I read it. I know a lot of it is biased partisan garbage. But every now and then, see, when we just apply these filters on people, the very same way that we we have disdain and we have low tolerance for people who just call everybody they disagree with far right, right? They, well, they're far right, so don't listen to them. And we say how wrong that is. The very same dynamic applies here. This is Timothy Wu law professor from Columbia and regular columnist for the New York Times. Uh, Thank you, Chairman and uh, uh, other members of the committee. Uh, It is a a great pleasure to be here today, and I'm I'm very grateful uh, that the subcommittee is is conducting uh, this work and these investigations. I I believe this is one of the most important economic issues facing our country. I think we face a vitally important question here, which is this whether the United States will remain the place that new industries start, the place where startups uh, get, get their start, the, the place where, where inventors think that they, they have a chance to challenge uh, the dominant firms of their day, where innovation flourishes, where really the United States uh, is capable of being the place, as I've said before, that new industries are started. And I think that is something that has come into question. I think that we face across the economy an over-consolidation and over-concentration of many industries. And I think this is particularly evident and, in fact, extreme in in the tech industries. So over the last uh, two hours of the first panel, we listened to something that, that to me, could have been a hearing in the year 2005 or, or maybe almost like a fantasy zone. If we're to believe what the, the, the uh, uh, testifiers were saying, and they, they were under oath, um, we live in a time of incredibly fierce competition. Uh, I could leave this hearing, go to my garage, and start a challenger to Google, Facebook, and Amazon. There, there are no barriers to competition. Uh, every th- competition is only one click away. Um, I think that, uh, f- uh, that everybody knows that's not true. There's no uh, mystery anymore about whether the tech markets have flipped. There's no question uh, as to whether there are barriers to entry and whether the tech economies have, in fact, become a very difficult place for people to get started. Um, People are starting to talk about the decline in the number of startups, almost unthinkable in the United States, which has always had a... Just just take uh, Gab, for example. Gab couldn't get their app on the uh, Apple iPhone. Uh, They couldn't get their app in the Apple... App Store. Oh, we don't agree. We don't like the content on your app, your social media app. So that one move by Apple uh, severely restricted Gab's uh, ability to grow. 
and Gab's ability to compete with a Twitter, with a Facebook, with an Instagram. It, it made, made it obsolete, essentially. Useless. Comparative advantage in being the, the place uh, where startups forget their start. So I think um, it is time for the reassertion of what I think have been incredibly successful policies from the last century, uh, namely the antitrust laws and pro-competitive uh, regulation uh, on the model of, of the telecom laws and some of the FTC uh, regulations. Uh, we have a, a, trilogy, a, a trilogy of cases in the tech space in particular, um, IBM, AT&T, and Microsoft, which were big Section 2 cases, uh, which were criticized at the time of, of being certain to uh, uh, interfere with competition. <laughs> Mike and, owns and, Apple stock. Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Hurt American companies at the time when Japan seemed very threatening. Uh, in retrospect, when you look back at the, at the, uh, the effects of, of these big cases, they loosened up the tech markets. They, they helped to contribute to an enormous boom in uh, the tech and telecom markets that lasted and has lasted more than 30 years and has restored the United States to a place of global leadership in the tech markets. So I think that that trilogy of cases and some of the most important pro-competitive regulation at the FCC and FTC uh, is the policy we need in this time and not a policy of trying um, uh, to endorse or support national champions. Um, if I have time and questions, I'll address some of the things that were said earlier, but I want to address one or two right now. Um, in, the, in the testimony we heard earlier, uh, I think it's very notable that Facebook uh, had trouble naming competitors. They repeatedly asked, they couldn't name the competitor. I think there's a very simple reason for that. They've bought their competitors. They have bought the most threatening companies uh, to them, and um, that is the reason that's so hard for them to name them. They could have said Instagram and WhatsApp, but they own them. Um, in fact, and, and Facebook also said that its intent when it bought these companies was perfectly benign. It saw them as promising companies. It wanted to incubate them. I suggest that this subcommittee uh, look into an email written by uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, around the time of the Instagram uh, acquisition where he stated, as been reported in the press, that the purpose of this, um, and this is paraphrasing, was to eliminate a dangerous potential intelligence and the Google assistant. Uh, you have a subpoena power, if I'm not mistaken, and it might not be a bad idea uh, to, to get your hands on that letter. Okay. You get the idea. Once again, somebody else from the left side of the spectrum saying the exact same bloody things that we've been saying for the last few years, and the initial reflexive response is to pretend like it's not happening, pretend like it doesn't exist, pretend like it's a partisan issue, when the way forward, the successful way forward is to make it a bipartisan issue. To identify one thing that we can all point our rifles at metaphorically at the same time and shoot in unison and actually get something done for a change. Tulsi Gabbard understands this, which is exactly why she put out her video. And if, you know, MAGA people, if you want to take the cynical political view, I will stress again, if you want to win on this, the best way forward is to take what she says, adopt it, make it a bipartisan issue, and then force the rest of her party to continue denying that the problem exists while more and more Democrats actually say, no, 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 you're, she's right, and the Republicans are right, and the MAGA people are right, and the Democrat Party leadership is wrong. It's not a fantasy. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's happening. It's really happening. That's the successful way forward. The unsuccessful way forward would be to dismiss everything she says merely because she's a Democrat, and then you turn a potential ally in this battle into an enemy unnecessarily. 
Yeah, I mean, overall... The very people you are trying to convince that this is a problem are Democrats. The very people you need to sway onto your side are Democrats. Who better to lead them to your bosom than a Democrat herself? Um, I'm very concerned to see big tech and the big media merge basically with a political party, uh, with the Democrat Party. Greg Coppola works in Google's New York office. He says from his insider's view, the reality of Google's political bias is undeniable. Don't have a smoking gun. I just, you know, I've been coding since I was 10. I have a PhD. I have five years of experience at Google, and I just know how algorithms are. Um, they don't write themselves. We write them to do what we want them to do. Mm -hmm. And you can use machine learning, but even then, you can get the results of machine learning to come out the way you want them to. It's, it's just a tool that we control. You know, I look at search, and I look at Google News, and I see what it's doing, and I see Google executives go to Congress and say that it's not manipulated, it's not political, and I'm just so sure that's not true. Okay. One more time, again, the guy who admits to being center, center, center left, right? The leftists that we should all ignore? Some of my research has focused on Google, on the company's massive surveillance operations, censorship capabilities, and unprecedented ability to manipulate the thinking of 2.5 billion people, soon to be 4 plus billion. I've written articles about Google for Time Magazine, USA Today, that kind of thing, but also for The Daily Caller and even Russia's Sputnik News. I reach out to diverse audiences because I believe the threats posed by Google, and to a lesser extent Facebook, are so serious that everyone needs to know about them. Again, a Democrat, ladies and gentlemen, that we should all ignore. country's history, our freedom of speech has always been viewed through a single lens. That we, the American people, can express ourselves openly, we can share ideas, and we can peacefully protest without fear of punishment. We could exercise this right without any censorship, threat of arrest, or government intervention that would otherwise restrict our freedoms. Now, over the last two decades... Okay. Ladies and gentlemen... Another left-wing person we should ignore. The left-wing case against censorship of social media, saying that it's wrong to categorise people as far-right and ban them because eventually the corporations will just start making up the definitions themselves and banning whoever is inconvenient to the corporation's aims and shareholders. The decision to deplatform is controlled by unaccountable private entities. Another left-wing person we should ignore, apparently. Okay, somebody mentioned uh, Senator Hawley before. One of the few Democrat uh, Republicans actually doing something. Is he a Democrat or Republican? I think he's a Republican. Uh, one of the few people, let's just say few people in a bipart in the spirit of bipartisanship, one of the few people that's actually doing something. Mr. Chairman, uh, you say that Google takes its content moderation responsibilities very seriously. That's your testimony here today. Is that fair to say? Um, you strive to be even-handed and neutral. We, yes, we construct our, our algorithms to be politically neutral. So Analytically that. objective and apolitical, I think, were your exact words. Exactly. Is that, is that yes. right? And you don't, you don't impose filters based on political viewpoints. That's your testimony. Uh, that's correct. And despite the fact that almost exclusively your executives' employees uh, donate to one political party, I think 1% you, of the donations that came from Google in 2016 went to Republicans or Donald Trump. All the rest went to... 
the other party, Hillary Clinton, the Democrats, it is your testimony that you do you never use content moderation to advance an ideological agenda. Is that correct? Uh, yes, Senator, and it's you know we we. It is both contrary to our mission, contrary to our business interest, <laughs> and it would be incompatible with the systems that we build to work political bias in there, which I think is why we've had third-party studies. You know what? In, on a sick level, he's right, because as we know, when Tulsi Gabbard herself was the most Googled thing after the first round of Democratic debates, they pulled her ad account. They pulled her ad account. Can't have people looking for Tulsi Gabbard. Why would they pull the ad account of somebody like Tulsi Gabbard? Could it possibly be because she talks about big tech and the power that big tech has and putting the power of the, you know, in the hands of the corporations to decide which speech is acceptable socially and which speech is not? Could that be a reason? You know, an argument that I've made for a long, long time. If we're going to get anywhere on this, it's the paradigm of politics that we need to understand. It's not me, the voter, versus you, the voter, in all cases. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes the differences between party lines are so distinct that you have to defend them. Granted. But oftentimes the problem isn't me, the voter, versus you, the voter. The real struggle is, the real paradigm is, it's us, the voters, versus them, the politicians. It's us, the voters, versus politics. Professional politics, the political machine is filled to the brim with people whose job it is to sit in quiet rooms and figure out ways to fuck with your life, to change your life, to change your society, to make this regulation, to make this law, to strip this, to strip that, to get you to do things, to get you to change your behavior. This is why it exists. So again... On an issue such as this, where finally we have an opportunity for some kind of bipartisan partnership moving forward to get an actual achievable outcome, don't fall into the trap of the party line. There'll be plenty of time for party politics. There'll be plenty of time for party arguments. Now would be the time to make hay whilst the sun shines to embrace the fact that your political opponents are finally starting to agree with what you've been saying for the last few years, which is when you go back to the last few years, which is exactly what you damn well wanted. You wanted Democrats to talk about online censorship. You wanted Democrats to speak out against the tech oligarchs. You wanted Democrats to speak out against Tech Valley. And now that they're starting to do it, You'll find yourself and your comrades turning to each other going, don't listen to anything that person says. It's all garbage. <laughs> well, what do you? What the hell do you want? How the hell do you think this is going to change? How the hell do you think you're going to win here? I got sent this video, ladies and gentlemen. I got sent this video from the Australian taxpayer-funded broadcasting corporation, which is overwhelmingly biased to the left from a lifelong lefty sent to me from somebody who I have, you know, in years gone past would have called me a, a nut and a conspiracy theorist for saying the very things that are in this report. We now have people on the other side reaching out and saying, what the hell do we do about this? This can't be allowed to continue. Yeah. 
modern digital world, Google has become the word for searching the internet. Nine out of every 10 internet searches across the globe use Google. People come to Google and ask quite intimate questions about their lives. Um, give me advice on getting a divorce. Help me solve a genetic illness. What do I do if I'm going bankrupt? And Google decides what answers you will get to those questions. That sort of power hasn't been seen on this sort of scale ever before. Each free search is a transaction. In return, Google takes a piece of our personal data. We can't just blindly uh, trust that they're collecting all this data and, and, and they're not going to personalize it and they're not going to track us across the web because they make money by tracking us across the web. Google is now butting heads with governments around the world. Smokey Bear raises a good point in the chat. There is a component of the Republicans' Levin crowd that thinks private monopolies are okay. There's a, the same thing exists on the Democrat side of the ledger too. It's called the establishment. And there are a lot of people who will not allow their vote and their support to Donald Trump be merged into an establishment vote. That's, the, that's one thing to recognise here. So if you're a Donald Trump supporter and you're a lifelong Republican and you're upset that people are saying, uh, good on you, Tulsi Gabbard, for speaking about tech censorship, maybe, maybe look at yourself for a second here. Because there is a whole bunch of energy in the online community that did not support Donald Trump just so people like Mark Levin can turn around and say, hey, what's the problem? Give all, what's the problem? We need to let Google do whatever the hell they want. It's not a problem. Hey, we need to support corporations. Right? There's a whole bunch of people that didn't support Donald Trump. There's a whole bunch of people that supported Donald Trump in opposition to establishment Republican Party politics. There's a whole lot of people that supported Donald Trump in rejection of Democrat establishment party politics. Right? So Mark Levin can go out there and say whatever the hell he wants. It's not, it's not the Mark Levins that got Donald Trump elected. It was the Mark Levins, incidentally, who at the beginning of the process said, don't touch this guy. He's wrong. He's dangerous. We can't have him. Remember that? That was Mark Levin. So before we start, you know, throwing our stock into people like Mark Levin, oh, they're, they're right. We need, to, we, we need to do whatever these corporations do. But whilst at the same time bitching about online censorship, although Mark Levin still has his check mark. Mark Levin hasn't been kicked off YouTube. Mark Levin hasn't been kicked off Twitter. Mark Levin hasn't been removed from Facebook, right? Funny that, isn't it? Funny that. All of these blue checkmark Republicans who throw red meat to the online community and say that censorship is a real issue, bias is a real issue, they're still monetized. They're still on these platforms. They're still making money. Oh, we better not touch them. Better not go too close to Google. Better not, better not say anything too bad about Google. Right? Funny, funny how that works, isn't it, Mark? Google is able to collect an amount of information about its users that would even make the NSA blush. They are in New Zealand. They generate revenue out of New Zealand. They've got their staff based in New Zealand. Uh, they've got to abide by New Zealand laws. They make all their money by what they'll never show you under the hood, um, and that's tracking users online. 
Patrick Johnson worked for America's surveillance giant, the National Security Agency. Obviously another, obviously another right-wing conspiracy theorist just coming up with right-wing fantasies. I come from the intelligence world and, and data is gold. You take what you can and you can piece together a lot of information about who people are. He's now Chief Technology Officer for Disconnect, a company that stops users from being tracked through the internet. Until they kind of pull back the curtain and say, this is, this is how we store your data, this is how we treat it. Pinochet in the chat on YouTube, great point. Levin, Shapiro, Crowder, they were all anti-Trumpers. See, you know, say what you will about Glenn Beck, at least Glenn Beck was the guy who stuck by his guns. At the moment that it was clear, you know, Shapiro kind of has, Shapiro kind of has, I'll grant you that, but Levin and Crowder, the moment that it was clear that Donald Trump was the pony to bet on, all of a sudden they're wearing fucking MAGA shirts. How about that? Huh? Oh, YouTube is, YouTube is censoring me. YouTube is biased. Google is biased. Still got your check mark. Still monetized. Still got your channel, right? <laughs> Haven't been removed from any platform yet, have we? Interesting then I think we'll never fully know what they're doing with our data, even when we uh, proactively turn on features to try to limit what they know about us. I am a long-term Google user. Google knows who I communicate with, everywhere I go, how I spend my money, who my family members are, their birthdays, what I watch online, holidays I've planned, and every single thing I look for on the internet. This is how many cookies I have attached to my account right now. And my use goes back 10 years. My daughter is using Google Docs at school via a contract with the New South Wales Education Department. So Google is learning about her behaviour and interests. In theory, they could track her use from school to our home via our home internet address. Add facial recognition and voice recognition and the picture is pretty much complete. The power that these corporations have is to create a digital representation of yourself. Meaning they know who you talk to, they know where you go, they know how much you earn, they know where you spend your money, they know what kind of movies you like, what kind of sports you like, what kind of music you listen to, what kind of clothes you like to wear, what religion you are, what culture you are, what language you speak how old you are, your sex, even if even if you're a non-binary person, they'll figure that out too. Once upon a time, we used to have to rummage through somebody's garbage to get an idea of the kind of person they are and build a psychological profile. Now all we have to do is hand them a laptop and they'll, and they'll fill in the blanks themselves. Which leads us to an interesting question. Who owns the digital representation of yourself? Do you think that you own your own being? Do you think that you are in possession of your own person? Meaning, do you think that you have intellectual property rights over what you think, what you feel, what music you like, your personal information? I'm here to tell you that that is a myth. That is not true. As more and more, as more and more of our life is put online, as we interact with this online space more and more and hand over ever more data to these private unelected corporations who decide who should be allowed to participate in the online community, which very quickly is becoming the only community. As we become more introverted and leave our house less and less and look at our phone more and more. That's precisely what's happening. So these corporations own you now. 
you see. These corporations own your personal data. You don't own it. You don't own that. These corporations own the digital representation of yourself. Therefore, they now have the right to exclude that digital representation of yourself from participating in the online marketplace. Because they own your data and sell your data and traffic in your data, your data is, you know, for all intents and purposes, you. You are your data. You are your information. But in the real world, you don't own your information. Google does. Facebook does. Twitter does. The companies that go to Google and Facebook and Twitter to purchase your information now own you digitally. And they decide whether or not you're allowed to participate in the online marketplace. You don't decide. You have no right. They decide for you. So that's what brings me to the question and, you know, the ultimate, I guess, the ultimate point of tonight's show. And I think we'll wrap it up here. Do, do we even deserve to have online freedom? Do we even deserve it? We're constantly, we're, we're fighting over ourselves to shovel as much information about ourselves into these corporations. Take my information. Take my money. Take, take the very essence of my soul. Take all of my dreams and fears and wants and desires and put them in a nice little algorithm in a nice little folder entitled Boogie Bumper. And then take my information and sell it. And if I say something that is contrary or problematic, then please execute me digitally. Remove my personhood from the internet. Remove me from the public space. Do we even deserve to have internet freedom when we behave in this manner? Do we deserve to have internet freedom when for years and years some of us have been making the argument that, hey, there is too much power here. Something needs to change. These companies cannot be allowed to run roughshod over the rest of us and decide what is or is not appropriate to say in the public square. We cannot allow freedom of speech to become a, a commodity of a corporation. Do we even deserve to have internet freedom when suddenly, out of the blue, the very thing that we've been asking for for years, that being people on the perceived opposite side of the political spectrum, start agreeing with us and start taking up the fight themselves. Do we deserve to have internet freedom when we just cut those people down and ignore them instead of embracing their newfound wisdom and their newfound enlightenment as a means to an end? Do we even deserve internet freedom at that point? If we aren't if we aren't prepared from time to time to put our party affili affiliations to one side to fight for the basic principles of life in the Western world, what number one being freedom of speech and freedom of expression, then what the hell are you going to do it for? If you're not prepared to put party affiliation to one side for one fight, for one day, for one day in the trenches, for one moment in time when there is an opportunity to fight for freedom of speech side by side, then what the hell are you going to do it for? How the hell do you think anything is going to change? And if you're not prepared to do it, then I'll ask the question, do we even deserve to have internet freedom at all? Because through our actions up until this point, it appears like we don't want it. 
and maybe we can't be trusted with it. And maybe that's the exact thing that the politicians and the corporations are banking on. The fact that we won't recognise that we are all here and wanting the exact same thing as each other. That we won't recognise that we could be united in this cause instead of at each other's throats in heated agreement. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you'd like to get more involved in this conversation, then please do by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. I'll be back 11 p.m. tomorrow night. Don't forget to follow our friends at Real Person PLTCS for the best 15-minute data downloads on the interwebs and Chris Mack at ChrisMC44 for 44 periscopes a day. Until tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. Good night. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow.